0: I'm Glenn Crooks, and this is On Frame. Thursday night football at Yankee Stadium and New York City FC reserve Tati Castellanos to the rescue for the boys in the Bronx. We'll have that story, plus a preview of City's huge match on Sunday in Atlanta, and a look back at the week for Philadelphia Union midfielder Alejandro Bedoya. Castellanos with goals in the 83rd minute and the third minute of stoppage time, rallying New York City FC to a 3-2 win over the shorthanded Houston Dynamo in front of 18,113 at the stadium, complete with a one-hour weather delay conveniently at halftime. Romel Kyoto. he was sent off by referee Robert Sabiga following an intentional arm or elbow to the head of Ronald Matarita in the 29th minute. The score was tied at one, and when Mauro Monotas scored his ninth of the season in the 77th minute, the Dynamo took the lead with a man down. But Castellanos got his sixth and seventh of the season, including the first headed goal of the year for New York City, and the home team escaped with the three points, moving ahead of D.C. United and the New York Red Bulls into third place in the Eastern Conference. Assisting on the tying goal for City and earning his first MLS point, midfielder Keaton Parks. Let's listen to a portion of Parks' discussion with the press corps after the match.
1: What did, you, what did you think of, um, I mean, obviously he scored the two goals, but, but I mean, Tati, just, was that just kind of, you think, energy coming off the bench and, and uh, I mean, obviously it seemed like too you were able to kind of create pretty well with with him, combined with him, I mean.
2: Yeah, I mean, all, all the guys on the bench are always ready to, to come in and, and do their part. Um, Tati had a huge game tonight, obviously he came in and scored two goals for us, got us the win. Um, but, yeah, it's important. All of our, all the players are working hard every day in training, and they're always ready to come in off the bench, and that's exactly what he did. Once
1: Eric came off, I saw you play a little bit further back, but then you obviously had a hand in that second goal. What was your approach to uh, playing against these ten men and what did Tati ask you to do for the end of that match?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I was told defensively to play right back, and then when we have the ball to get higher up the pitch, um, and I was just trying to do my part. Um, and, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not a right back, but i play, I'll do my part and do what the coach asked me to do, and then, um, yeah, I was happy to, to be a part of the last two goals and, and to get forward and to get the win.
0: Keaton, uh, Maximir Morales, you've played the midfield, a lot of midfields before. Can you just describe when he came onto the field, it, it just seems like things change? Yeah, I mean,
2: he's an incredible player, um, and when he's on the field, we we want him on the ball because he creates stuff, He he's moving a lot, he's always in good spaces, and and. He's, again, he's just a really good player, and um, he makes an impact every time he's on the field.
0: It, it seems like the team has more confidence when he's out there. It just, it just seems that way. I
2: mean, maybe. Um, personally, I mean, it's the same for me. We, we, we all have a lot of talent, and whether he's on the field or not, I mean, we've we got to play confident and play good. Um, but, I mean, yeah, of course, he's a, he's a great player, and it's having him on the field, it's, it's more reassuring, I guess, and we can always just count on him to, to give the ball to him, and he'll, he'll do something good with it.
3: Quick, uh, quick turnaround and uh, a huge one against Atlanta. I know um, you're just wrapping your head
1: around this one, but uh, it, it seems just kind of where the, where you guys are in the standings with the games you have in hand. Um, it it kind of has almost like that feel of like a first place game coming up. I mean, what do you think about playing these guys?
2: I mean, every game is important. Um, it's going to be a, a great matchup uh, away at Atlanta. Obviously, they have crazy fans and everything, but uh, um, every game is important. We take it, take each game just as important as the other, as the as the last or as the next, and um, and we were going
0: there to get the three points. That's a confident Keaton Parks. After playing just 55 minutes in the first 14 matches of the season, he has now started seven of the last eight for New York City. One of the top matchups in MLS this weekend, coming up on Sunday, in Atlanta, New York City FC versus Atlanta United. They're very tight in those Eastern Conference standings. Chris Furmeister, he covers Atlanta United for Pro Soccer USA. He's an editor there, and you've seen his byline in The Guardian, Chicago Tribune, Orlando Sentinel, Atlanta Magazine, and Golazo Argentino. Chris, what's happening?
3: Hey, not too much, Glenn. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. It starts and ends in Atlanta with Joseph Martinez. He was held out of the U.S. Open Cup uh, semifinal midweek, Atlanta advancing to the U.S. Open Cup final. Uh, you wrote a strained adductor in Monday's training session. So, and earlier in the week, Frank DeBoer said it was unlikely he'd play on Sunday. What, what's the latest? Do we know?
3: Uh, we have not gotten an update since. We'll I'll be out at the training ground tomorrow and should get a definitive word on that. But I, DeBoer, did not officially rule him out. But I I would be pretty stunned if. If Martinez were available to go, Atlanta has had a few other adductor injuries this year, um, and even the minor ones have kept players out for at least a couple of weeks. So I would expect him to be out.
0: All right. So, and that's significant. Second in the league with 18 goals and 21 matches. Uh, in July, he broke uh, former NYC forward David Villa's record of 63 goals in the players' first three seasons in MLS. He's tied with Bradley Wright Phillips when he scored his 68th goal in a three 0 win over the LA Galaxy for most goals in any three year span in in league history. So this guy is prolific. So so how does uh, how does Atlanta handle this?
3: Well, uh, in an ideal world, Brandon Vasquez would be available. He's a backup forward who has really emerged as the clear second choice to Joseph Martinez and. While no one can replace Martinez, uh, Vasquez has, has shown well this year and has, has looked like a capable backup, but he also has an injured adductor. Uh, so um, it will likely be a sort of striker partnership between um, P.T. Martinez and Ezequiel Barco, who both started up top in a three-five-two formation against Orlando City in the U.S. Open Cup. I would imagine that that's what... Frank DeBoer would deploy against NYCFC. Um, you know, Hector Tito Vijalpa is a, another possibility, you would think, but he's coming back from a long injury layoff. He just got his first minutes against Orlando on Tuesday. He played like a 15-minute cameo. I doubt that he's ready to start a game. So I would expect to see Barco and PT uh, up top for Atlanta.
0: All right, and that was that U.S. Open Cup uh, semifinal. Uh, the victory in Orlando 2-0. You talk about Barco and Martinez paired together up top had that ever happened before out of a 3-5-2 because when Joseph Martinez is around he's up there by himself right
3: well Atlanta has moved back into this 3-5-2 formation it's something that they used a lot last year and had a lot of success with and this year Frank DeBoer came in and he's been he started the year in a in sort of a 3-4-3 due to some fullback injuries and that was kind of a disaster the the attack Eck was just terrible in that. Um, it moved to sort of a more of a four two three one, not really a four three three. And so, Joseph Martinez was starting up top on his own in that. But in recent weeks, again due to fullback injuries, uh, forcing the move, they've gone back to three five two. And even with the fullback depth getting better now, they're sticking with it because it's something that the players are just much more comfortable in. The attack looks much better. Um, they're sort of, it fits everyone's skill sets a lot better. So Joseph has been starting up top with Pitti Martinez in that formation um, as Ezekiel Barco has also been working his way back from injury. But now that Barco is is healthy, I think Against against the LA Galaxy, um, you had Barco starting sort of in that advanced attacking midfield role, and you had Joseph Martinez and Pitti Martinez starting up top.
0: All right, well that uh, that's a South American trio, but that on the surface, you look at these three guys, and together you would think that uh, wow, this is massively dynamic. Uh, and injuries have held them back a little bit, too. But uh, Barco and uh, Pitti Martinez in particular, where do they stand in terms of uh, reaching their potential or what the the expectation was when they, uh, when they entered the Atlanta United program, that Argentinian pair?
3: Well, Barco, last year was his first year in Atlanta, and it was certainly a disappointment. He was the incoming transfer record um, signing, and he started off the season just not really not doing a whole lot just not really living up to the hype and then he had a disciplinary issue in the middle of the year and by the end of the year I mean he was just a guy who would come off the bench for maybe maybe 30 minutes at most but often like 15 minute cameos um this year however in limited time due to an injury and due to his stint at the under 20 world cup he's been pretty fantastic when he's played and he's really lived up to what everyone expected. Um, He just, he's sort of, I mean, he's not Miguel Almiron, but he sort of does similar things to Almiron in advancing the ball at his feet. Once it gets into the attacking half, he can play really good passes. He likes to cut inside from the left and and shoot with his right foot, like curling shots to the far post. And he's really just, yeah, he's he's linking up well with everyone and it's it, you know, because he had such a good performance at the under twenty World Cup and because he's playing well in MLS this year, there's kind of the feeling that, well, this might be it for Barco. He might be sold <laughs> in the offseason for a big number. Um Pizzi Martinez, similar to Barco last year, has it's been a tough year for him. He has not at all lived up to the hype of being the twenty eighteen South American footballer of the year, Copa Libertadores champion. He's you know, he's spoken ill of his manager to the media. He's said to the so, to Argentine media that the rumors of him not having a good relationship with his manager are true. Um, De Boer, who is just does does not mince words when he's asked a question. He answers questions straightforward and honestly, and so he has criticized Pity Martinez's play um, because. P.T. Martinez has not played well. Um, so he's a player who – he he was viewed as the Miguel Almiron replacement because Almiron goes out, P.T. Martinez comes in in the same transfer window. Right. But they're just totally different players. I mean, Almiron is a guy with an engine that runs box-to-box. He influences the game all over the field. He tracks back defensively. He's just an absolute burner. I mean, can run end-to-end through a defense – Pitty Martinez is not that player. He does not have the defensive engine, and he's not nearly as fast as Almiron. He's—I think everyone was kind of expecting him to be faster than he is, but um, he, he's not as fast as Almiron at all. He has a very good left foot, but he—he he often, you know, will shoot from distance, and he hasn't been too accurate with those, and so he's killed a lot of attacks doing that. He shows flashes of. Some brilliant passing and some brilliant link-up play at times, but you're getting that with a lot of pretty easy turnovers, going down easy, looking for fouls that he just is not getting called. It's been a tough year for him.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, if you wa- Chris, if you watched him with River Plate, uh, the comparison to Al is is uh, essentially unfair. I mean that that was mm-hmm. not the that was not what he was going to. To, to bring, but what have, what ha, have De Boer's issues specifically been uh, with Martinez?
3: Well, it's been just sort of the, I guess, a lack of energy, really. It's the, he, he will, he seems to tire as games mm-hmm. goes on. I mean, you know, that's part of, part of it, but he will start turning the ball over, start making poor passes, and, and DeBoer has, the, the comment that, that Martinez took particular ex- exception with was I think DeBoer said that he had subbed PT off in like the 60th minute of a game because he was turning the ball over and it was a danger to the team quote um, and, <laughs> yeah, and PT Martinez did not like that but it's really it's just DeBoer being straightforward and I mean <laughs> DeBoer was right it was that was absolutely right um, but PT thought that DeBoer should have brought that comment to him before he brought it to the media um so yeah it's just it's sort of a lack of energy and and a lack of work rate that pt has shown at times that that has been the frustration
0: all right chris uh, Furmeister uh, covers atlanta united for pro soccer usa new york city fc at atlanta united on sunday and we're talking about frank DeBoer. earlier in the year chris uh, much like here in new york city displeasure with the manager and De Boer, you know, the, the discussion of the attack, it was boring. You know, we know uh, under Tata, uh, a season ago, the, the exciting uh, Bielsa style, you know, high press, win the ball, count. I mean, it was like two different styles, obviously, with uh, De Boer coming with the Dutch mentality. So uh, where does that stand now, his relationship uh, between manager and supporters and I guess I should follow up, where, where's his relationship with Martinez and the rest of the team right now? But let's start with uh, what happened earlier in the year and where, where you think it is right now.
3: His relationship with or how the supporters perceive him has certainly improved because I mean, it has to considering Atlanta went from being winless in their first four league games to now up to second place in the Eastern Conference into the U.S. Open Cup final, which by the way, under Tata Martino, Atlanta never advanced past the round of 16 in that tournament. Right. Um,
0: and so, they now have, and they have 41 goals now. Which you know, you you again, I go back earlier in the year where people, it was like, ah, the attack, we're not scoring enough, we're not uh, dynamic enough, and that's second only to LAFC. So the goal, and obviously Joseph Martinez is a big part of that.
3: Yeah, they've started to sto- score goals. They so the way the De-, De Boer describes it is, like you said, he's he's a Dutchman. He's very European style of. He installs the defense first. He wanted to install his defensive fundamentals, his defensive system first. And at the beginning of the year, with playing in the Champions League, a congested schedule, there was not a whole lot of time to train new tactics. So basically all they trained was defense. So they didn't have any attacking ideas. But now as the season has gone along, he's been able to install more attacking ideas that he described it recently is, you know, you, you can have a car and you can buy the base model and then you can get options on it. And these various attacking ideas are getting options on it. And now Atlanta has a little bit of that. And especially just going back to this three, five, two formation, like I said, that everyone just sort of looks like they know what they're doing more and they, they, they're more confident to, to make the right runs and the right passes and just the right moves and so,
0: and that sounds very similar to what has occurred at New York City FC. It just took time to uh, develop a system.
3: Yeah, it really did. And I, I thought that the stick that De was getting from the fans early in the year, I I understood it. You know, it's it's a fan base coming off winning a championship. But I, I did think it was pretty unfair the the amount of criticism he got, and I think that it was also really related to his time at Crystal Palace and Inter Milan having two you know failure stints where he didn't get enough time um, that played into it as well that just added to that perception um, But now yeah the most of the fan I mean there are still a few grumblings, but for the most part the fan base has accepted that a De Boer is a pretty good manager and that you're seeing the team evolve in his mold and that B, his system in the long term might be more sustainable than a Tata Martino style system that is just so chaotic and so just all out, I mean, you know, throwing caution to the wind, like to having some stability. I I look at Tata Martino versus Frank DeBoer as sort of a chaos versus control sort of just worldview. And I think that everybody understands that maybe having some control is not a bad thing.
0: Well, um, one, one thing that hasn't happened, Chris, it hasn't impacted attendance. So against the L.A. Galaxy last Saturday, 3 nothing win for Atlanta, 72,548. Uh, Ibra didn't play. I'm sure that impacted it a little bit that uh, he might be there. But uh, so an MLS regular season record at this point, you know, for a, a club that has gotten 70,000-plus uh, in the past, for those who have not been able to attend a match there, can you uh, can you describe the surroundings on match day?
3: Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, it's something that, as someone who's been watching this team closely for three years now, or you know, into its third year now, I it's something that I sort of take for granted, and I realize when I actually think about it that that is insane because th- the fact that th- that Atlanta is able to draw. Seventy thousand plus, uh, you know, several times a year. They're, they're probably going to do it six times during the regular season this year, and then in the playoffs, depending on how many playoff home games, th- that should add to that. Um, it's just, it's quite a spectacle, and it's you see Atlanta United stuff all around town. It, it Really, it's just they they found a way from the beginning to ingrain themselves in this city's just sort of culture and yeah the, the game days are are pretty incredible you, some people actually prefer it when the they don't have the third deck open and it's down to the i think it's about a 45,000 capacity because then you have a higher ratio of the supporter section to the more casual fans so some people say that the atmosphere is a little bit better in that scenario but
0: really I mean, with with like 30,000 less people <laughs>
3: Well, you know, because when you have the, the 70,000, that's a lot more of the casual fans who might not be right. singing in all the songs and everything. But all I right. mean, I I think that that is a complaint that is a very much in the world of MLS, a first world complaint. Yeah, um, right. that's right. It's, it's like seeing that, seeing 70,000 people there for games. And then when the noise does build, um, it, yeah, I mean, it's incredible.
0: That, and the record uh, reflects that nine wins, one loss three uh, draws any idea what uh, the expectation is for sunday in terms of attendance
3: uh sunday i believe is going to, i don't think they're going to have the third deck open on sunday uh so it, it will probably be be in the neighborhood of you know forty four thousand or so that's that's typically around what they get when it's um just the two lower decks the lower bowl and the second tier so you know still a a it should be a fantastic atmosphere, nonetheless.
0: That's really incredible. The draw of Ibrahimovic opens up the third deck, and then he's unable to play. What are you going to do?
3: Well, it's actually uh, you know that's a lot of people I've seen from like national punditry sort of allude to that uh, when referencing that, but that I mean certainly the Galaxy Ebro, you know that's a big name. But uh, so the way Atlanta does it is last year they, you know they've got. X number of home games, 17 home games, and they announced last year at the beginning of the year that four of those uh, were going to be full stadium games. They actually, due to demand, added a fifth. Um, And then this year they announced before the season that six games will be full stadium games. Um, So it's, you know, Ebro being a draw certainly probably is a reason why this was one of those games. But, there are yeah, there are five other games, regular season games, where they're... Doing the full stadium and drawing, you know, between sixty-eight and seventy-two thousand or so.
0: All right, second place Atlanta United on thirty-nine points, three trailing the Philadelphia Union, the top team of the East. New York City FC fifth in the East on thirty-five points. But if you go points per game, it's New York City one point six seven. Atlanta United one point six three. However you diagnose it. Big game coming up on Sunday. Chris, uh, thanks so much for setting the table on this.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Glenn. I think it's going to be a, a pretty fantastic game, and it'll go a long way toward determining the final playoff seating.
0: Chris Furmeister covering Atlanta United for Pro Soccer USA. So likely no Joseph Martinez for Atlanta, and also no Ishmael Tajiri-Shradi for City. In fact, it's possible that Shradi has been lost for the season. Dolmet Tarant told me in a pregame briefing on Thursday night that an ankle injury suffered weeks ago may now require surgery. The club will know more in about ten days. Philadelphia Union midfielder Alejandro Bedoya was named the MLS Player of the Week. He had a good match against DC United, scored the opening goal, the third minute uh, for the Union, on their way to a five-one win over DCU. But it was something else that uh, triggered this weekly league honor. Uh, In the wake of a pair of mass murders within 24 hours in El Paso and Dayton, uh, Bedoya ran to the field microphone after his goal and shouted for all to hear on the FS1 telecast, quote, Congress, do something now, end gun violence, let's go. This guy was not nominated as a he wasn't a candidate for player of the week but the a hashtag developed hashtag vote bedoya it went viral and he won it from a a, a vote of of the writers joe Tanzi covers the union for pro soccer usa he was at that match at dc united joe uh welcome to on frame how you doing
1: thanks i, I appreciate it doing uh doing pretty well
0: good well this was um this was some sort of a moment uh you know, as you as you look back, uh, it, even in league history, uh, with uh, the the combination of sport and politics, I, I don't know if we've ever seen anything quite like it. But I, I I first wanted to start with, if you're at the stadium and you guys are in the press box, I don't I don't know if you're monitoring FS One and listening, but when did you first discover that that this was said after the goal?
1: Uh, I think it was about probably five to ten minutes after the goal was scored. I think somewhere within that range after. You know, we're, we're on Twitter in the press box enough to, to realize uh, uh, it was starting to cause a, a little bit of a stir, and so we, we didn't make anything of it uh, from the press box when the celebration was going on, because we, we didn't uh, have a TV in front of us and, and weren't really monitoring the broadcast, but I think we found out pretty quick uh, what was said.
0: So social media, Twitter uh, doing its job, uh, getting the information out, and... <laughs> I guess whether he knew it or not, uh, he set off this social media stampede of support. Now, here's a kid that was born in New Jersey, uh, Englewood. His parents, though, are of Colombian uh, descent. So they are immigrants, which uh, is a uh, is a stimulus for uh, a lot of discussion. And he grew up in Weston, Florida, which is not far from Parkland, one of the uh, uh, mass uh, shootings over the last year that uh has certainly left us numb. So uh, it, there's a, there's a lot going on in Bodoya with all this.
1: Yeah, there are kind of a, a lot of layers to it, but you also realize this is a guy who uh after the Parkland shooting last year had a had a shirt um underneath his jersey uh, honoring the victims. Um so he's obviously someone who's been Deeply affected by these personally, not just seeing them on TV and and wanting to do something. He's there there are connections to um, a place that was affected directly by um, a mass shooting before. So uh, this is someone who's not uh, never holds back on his opinions. He's you know from covering him, he always speaks his mind and, and give him credit for for speaking up and. You know, it just so happened it, the game was on national broadcast, too, so it brought even, uh, even more attention to the matter.
0: So, uh, and earlier in the day he had tweeted, because this had already happened, so this is before the game's played, and he gets the goal and he, and he runs over to the field, Mike. His quote there was, we could start with stricter background checks, red flag laws, uh, making a registry for gun purchases, closing gun show loopholes, and taxing ammunition. So he's he had already made some public statements through Twitter even before this all started, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and he mentioned to us um, something like after the game. Uh, he was in, in a group chat with uh, with his friends from from South Florida, and one of them said, "Hey, you have this platform. Why not why not use it?" So that was. That was part of the inspiration. Um, he, he addressed us today as well at um, training and mentioned that. So, the, the part of the field where he went to go celebrate during the Open Cup match between the Union and DC um, in June, the Union fans were actually in that part of uh, the seating area because it was so limited, um, as most Open Cup matches are. Uh and they also mentioned uh, Milsim, um, you know, the the, the midfielder who came off the bench. Uh his family was in that, that area of of the, the stadium, stadium as well. well. So there was and he said he just happened to see the field mic when, day when day. he ran over to that part of the stadium to celebrate. celebrate and I guess that you know, obviously being early in the match as well, uh, still fresh on his yeah. mind. So that it wasn't like he had anything directly specifically planned. Um But it was an early goal. That side of the stadium, he was going to celebrate. And there was a field mic there, and and he took action.
0: Uh, Joe Tanzi covers the Philadelphia Union for Pro Soccer USA. He was at the uh, Philadelphia 5-1 win over D.C. United at Audi Field, where Alejandro Bedoya uh, made his comment that uh, went viral. Congress, do something now. End gun violence. Let's go. How about this hashtag that developed for him to – ultimately be named player of the week. I mean, it seemed after he, he it's an important goal he scores, but then the um the, the positive response uh from all this uh, and not just in the sporting realm but uh, outside of sports it really put him in the forefront.
1: Yeah, I and like with any statement or along these lines, you don't you never know how it's going to be received because we, we are there's a lot of division, and even you go on Twitter when when something like this happens. There's it can get ugly, but for the most part, you said today uh, it was like a ninety-five percent super positive, positive response to it. Um, everything that I um, looked at and I, I saw through, through through my social media with him posting, you know, the goal itself and his comments afterward, uh, we're, we're all positive. Uh, everyone, not only League wide, but I know it was picked up throughout the nation, um, and it, it looked like to me. I didn't see anything negative. It was pretty much an over overarching statement, um, and also he wasn't directly pointing out any party or any you know specific politician. It was just, "Hey, Congress," meaning Democrats, Republicans, all backgrounds. Let, let's let's get a. A solution here. So I think uh, uh, the way he did it and in the way he's talked about it, very informed uh, since then, uh, on Sunday night uh, outside the locker room and today at training, um, um, you can tell there's a lot of respect for, for what he's done.
0: And Joe, we mentioned the uh, the Parkland shooting and, and how uh, how close that was uh, to the heart of, of Alejandro Bedoya. And we remember uh, that he wore MSD strong at the uh, post match press conference on March third. It was in 2018. So again, this is this is something that he's you know talked about before. So this is nothing new for him to to express his opinion on this.
1: Yeah, he's um, he's had had people close to him directly um, related or excuse me deeply affected directly. By the uh, by, the shooting down there. So I think that in an issue like this, obviously, it's it's something I think all of us agree on that it needs to stop in some capacity. But I think having someone with um, a little more personal effect on it too helps because he's he's it's not just he woke up Sunday morning and decided to be. Vocal about it. He's been vocal about it for a while. He has these, these conversations with, with his friends, with you know, family uh, about these issues. So I think it 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 did make it a, a little more personal, and also I guess carried a little more weight because he has you know, talked about these things in the past.
0: Yeah, and uh, Jonathan Tannenwald from the Enquirer, and he also contributes to Pro Soccer USA. He had put out a tweet with a, with a picture of the MSD. Strong uh on Bedoya. but uh, there was also a note in there that one of the Union academy kids had lost a close friend who was killed uh in the shooting at parkland so uh, there's a there's a lot here for bedoya but th- but the other aspect is is he's impacted also because he has children yes
1: yeah he did, and he has mentioned it you know he's um it's one of those things where if he's got kids, and he worries. Just like I assume, a lot of people with with kids about you know exit strategies, whatever. Uh, if if something happens, so yeah, there's like you said, there's a lot um, going on there where it, it kind of makes him one of uh, the best possible voices to speak out on this because he he does he does see it from so many different perspectives.
0: And you know the the interesting part of this also was how Major League Soccer was going to handle his uh, his comment into the field, Mike, because in, in situations similar to this, we may have seen a fine in the past or maybe a suspension. You know, there was there was some sort of discipline, maybe almost anticipated. But how did MLS handle it? There w- there was no discipline.
1: Yeah, they just released a statement um, saying, you know. And then the, the MLSPA, you know, released a statement in support of Badoya too. I know uh, Sunday night at some point there was a, a GoFundMe started by union fans um, willing to chip in and help pay the fine if it was there. Um, Badoya said himself he didn't care if, if there was a fine. Uh, but I think the, the league acted properly here. Uh, it's not like he made a direct statement at anyone. Um, it wasn't a, a partisan statement, you know, directed at uh, a certain group of, of congressmen, congresswomen, it was just, you know, an overarching statement saying it had it, to it, find a way to, to end it. And I think the, the league made the sensible decision there.
0: And Joe, where does this uh, where does this go from here now? Uh, the uh, so you've got the initial uh, response and uh, the viralness of this through social media, but do you think something like this will have an impact? What's uh, what, what are the feelings around the, the union camp, uh, maybe in MLS, maybe outside of that that, that you can gather?
1: Uh, I mean, everything is, is positive from it. Um, there, there was a ton of support behind Bedoya, I mean, Jim Curtin, uh, Probably, you know, had Bedoya's back Sunday night. Same thing, and Bedoya said they talked uh, today when he got in because uh, they had off on Monday. Uh, everything from within the club um, and from around MLS, from from what I can see through through social media and people I've talked to, I mean, it it was an overwhelming amount of support for him. Um, where it goes from next, I don't know. That's I. Probably not for me to answer. But um,
0: well, what does Badoya think? I mean, has he has he made any sort of statement uh, afterward that would uh, suggest to, hey, uh, you know, I wasn't just saying that. Something's got to happen here.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It might be still too early for that, to be honest. Um, I would assume something w- would come from it whether it be meetings with representatives or, or what, what have you, you know, what the natural course of action right, is. Right. I mean, we're still 48 hours. We're still 48 hours removed from it. Um, and the player, you know, the players traveled back from DC late Sunday, they head off, probably spent the day with their families on Monday. Um, so I would, given the amount of positive response, I would, I would think it only goes in a positive direction. Uh, but yeah, I, based off of the amount of support he's been given, I think um, it'll only go forward in a positive manner, uh, and then it just comes down to you know what the next steps are, if if there are any.
0: That's Joe Tanzi covering Alejandro Bedoya and the Philadelphia Union for Pro Soccer USA. And that'll do it for On Frame. Join me with Maddie Lawrence for the radio commentary of New York City FC at Atlanta United on Sunday. Airtime, 345 Eastern for the pregame show with Domé Tarant on WNYE 91.5 FM in New York. And the New York City FC Network worldwide on TuneIn. This is Glenn Crooks.